As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Soccer Show. This is your weekend review where we discuss the major talking points from all the weekend's action across the Atlantic. I'm Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me is the Athletic's very own Jay Harris. How you doing, mate? How was your weekend? Yeah, it was all good. Saturday I actually went to a video-themed bar. So that was video game-themed bar, I should say. So I was playing that old-school um, Nintendo 64 games. And obviously... Today I was at um, Brentford Arsenal, so it's been a it's been a vintage weekend, I must say. Yeah, nice. Now, video game bar seems like a a fun one, one to uh, one to watch out for. Um, but we're going to talk about Arsenal in a bit more depth in just a second before we come on to the Madrid derby and what happens next after another terrible result for Juventus. Uh, the Gunners, though, were incredibly impressive today against Brentford on USA Network, a performance that oozed control. I thought Jay top of the Premier League going into the international break. I suppose the kind of big overarching question now that we're looking at is just how good are Arsenal and what is their ceiling this season? I'm sure we'll kind of get on to, to what Brentford did wrong in this game in a moment. But strangely enough, I was looking at the lineups before this game and thought you could make a decent argument that Brentford actually had a better substitute bench than Arsenal. Um, Arsenal obviously named Ethan Wanieri, who's 15 years old on the bench, and they named a couple of other youngsters. Wanieri obviously came off the bench and became the youngest ever player in Premier League history at 15 years and I think 100 and something days old, which is just absolutely crazy. Um, so you're looking at Arsenal's bench ahead of the game thinking, if Brentford pushed them all the way here, this could get this could get a bit sticky because, you know, Brentford have got Damsgaard on the bench, who we all know about from the European Championships and stuff. Um, but having said that, never even came into the equation for, for a brief moment. Um, Brentford were... It's probably the worst performance I've probably seen them put in in um, in the Premier League. They've had games where they've been a bit more chaotic, but they'd scored in them, whereas they just offered very little threat from, from minute one. But having said that, Saliba and Gabriel handled Ivan Tony so, so, so impressively. And then obviously a big thing with Arsenal last year was the lack in depth. And it looked like that was going to be the case today. But Lost Odegaard bought in Fabio Vieira, scores that amazing goal from long distance on his uh, first start in the Premier League, 
Tierney comes in for Zinchenko. Party comes back into the side. And all of a sudden, this team just looks like they've developed and grown so much over the last year that maybe, well, we witnessed it firsthand. This would have been a game that kind of tripped them up. But um, they, they just kind of got on with it and showed, did it with minimum fuss, really. Yeah, I think this is it. The big questions about for Arsenal have been about mentality and depth. And, you know, in terms of depth, you say there, a team missing Alexander Zemchenko and Martin Erdegaard, who I think have been two of the star performers yeah. for Arsenal across the course of this season so far. Kirantini comes in and I think everyone's expecting that to be fine because Kirantini is a wonderful footballer. Fabio Vieira, I'd imagine less people knew what was going to happen with that one, but he stepped in admirably for Erdegaard. You know, they brought him in to provide cover in that area and then to play that he can play a, new, a number of roles i really enjoyed watching him at porto last season and kind of working out exactly what he brings to a team um, but he steps in there he scores that cracking goal from outside the area but i thought just generally his link-up play today was outstanding and to step into those shoes you know it's not only erdegaard's creative ability which no one's doubting, but also he's become you know a real heartbeat and a leader in this arsenal side and Vieira was sensational kind of across the park i thought yeah, definitely. As you kind of said, you're you're not just replacing Odegaard's creativity. You're also going to have to try and compensate for the fact that he's the team's captain. Now, obviously, you're not going to be expected to kind of lead the team in that regard, but you've definitely got a responsibility to dictate the team's tempo and how they are going forward. And obviously, Arsenal scored two goals from crosses. Well, a goal from a set piece. They scored. Let me start that again. <laughs> they scored two headers and they scored a goal from long range. So it's not as if they were completely carving Brentford apart but having said that what was really good to see from Fabio Vieira was just that kind of confidence to to pull off particular passes and, and attempt things that's what you kind of want from a from a creative midfielder just kind of that confidence to try things that others won't and there were just some super nice passes into the game and only on his first Premier League start he looked pretty settled in this Arsenal team which I think if you're an Arsenal fan is probably the best thing to kind of come out of this you've got yet another option um, into the rotation into the rotation who's going to be really reliable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, but, you know, if we can get through depth, and look, it's not perfect. We're not going to suggest it is. There's, there's not quite enough depth, I think, at the base of that midfield if mm -hmm. someone was to get injured there. But the rest of the side looks pretty decent. Maybe maybe on one side of the wingers, things look a little bit, little bit worse. But coming on to that kind of mentality thing, obviously we saw that collapse at the end of last season, which meant that Arsenal seeded their hopes of playing in the Champions League in the last few games. And to make matters worse, they seeded it to, to Spurs, a bitter rival. They <laughs> suffered a setback against Manchester United last time out with that defeat. Even, you know, as we discussed, even though they played well, you know, there's still a, it's still a setback. And I thought this was quite a commanding kind of riposte to anyone questioning whether that defeat might spark a collapse in the in the Arsenal camp because we have seen that fragility before. Yeah, and I think the the biggest criticism of Arsenal last season was how streaky they were. So they'd go on these stretches of uh, runs where they'd win three four games in a row and then they'd lose two three four games in a row. And after that Manchester United defeat, there was definitely a part of me that thought, okay, they yeah they played really well today. But is the fact that they played well and didn't get anything going to have some sort of adverse like, impact on their mentality? And again, coming to, to Brentford and the kind of history that brings, I mean, people will probably look back at that game against Brentford in years to come as almost like a sliding doors moment or like a real transitional moment for this Arsenal team. That, like that was their, their lowest point and they've kind of come through that and survived that. And if you just look at, um, you know, Gabriel... 
<laughs> taking the mick out of Ivan Tony after the game with his tweets and stuff like that. This is clearly an Arsenal team that's feeling a little bit more rugged, a little bit more confident, kind of want to take street on... Streetwise, isn't it? Yeah, streetwise, kind of got a little bit more arrogance about them in the, in the right sense of the word and feeling pretty confident. And like you said, that comes down to the mentality that comes to... They've been through these bad periods before. They've got through them. They've kind of added a little bit of quality. They've added that roughness. So definitely... I, I, I've been been surprised that they've won six of their first seven games, and I almost almost keep thinking they're gonna they're gonna come in for a nasty surprise at one point. And I thought the Man United game was maybe gonna trigger that. So to to round off a really comfortable three 0 win against a good Brentford side, they're definitely gonna go for, go far this season. Yeah, I mean, look, you mentioned it at the top, and I think it's probably worth flipping the coin a little bit here. You know, Brentford's been a tricky place to come for a lot of teams. Now, we saw them dismantle Manchester United a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, over the course of the last season and a month, I suppose you should call it, you know, mm-hmm. it's not been nice for top sides coming to TWA. They haven't enjoyed themselves. They haven't been given the freedom to kind of play play the home team off the park or play a, a lesser light, if you will, in, in inverted commas, off the park. What went wrong for Brentford today? I think there's a couple of factors and I think one um, factor which you can't overlook is the kickoff time. Um, Every time they play the top six team, it's normally on a a Friday night or a Saturday night. Um, Great atmosphere, really lively. And, you know, obviously this game was originally scheduled for two o'clock, so potentially always going to be a little bit flatter. It obviously getting moved to 12 o'clock because of, you know, tragic circumstances in the UK with the the Queen passing. Um, Kind of made that just made that even more more of a kind of like quite a flat mood and atmosphere because yeah, obviously it's quite a somber occasion as well of course right? you've got all the tributes to the Queen before the game and during the game and things like that it's not the kind of you know party atmosphere that you're maybe going to maybe normally going to get on a weekend at a football game especially at a ground like Brentford because there's been some really memorable highlights there over the, over the last year or so so I think that definitely kind of impacted the team I think the fact they switched to, to 3-5-2 imp- impacted the team as well and Thomas Frank does this a lot against top six teams because I think he wants to go for a for a safety first approach. But I just think it backfired because, you know, Ivan Tony's coming off the back of that hat-trick against Leeds, coming off the back of getting called up to England. The first, you know, potentially going to be, if, as we are assuming, he gets his debut, first uh, Brentford player to play for England since 1939. Like, it's a massive occasion for the club. You're thinking, this guy's going to be on fire. He's going to do something in this game. And he was just completely isolated. Like he had nobody up front with him. Yes, Saliba and Gabriel like completely handled him, but <laughs> he was feeding off off absolute scraps. And then just a kind of final point, I, I actually asked Thomas Frank about it about this after the game, and and obviously he he kind of downplayed it. But I wonder if the fact that you know there were a few rumours linking with Thomas Frank with the with the Leicester City job um, that came out last night. He was kind of being linked to the Brighton job um, last week as well. I do kind of wonder if that played into it, even just a tiny bit, um, because I th- <laughs> we're humans, right? I think if a, if another company is showing interest in your services, I think it would be impossible for it not to at least slightly impact your pre- your preparations for your, for your day-to-day work. So I think those kind of three, four things combined is why they just seem to be so flat and lacklustre. 
Yeah, yeah, this is that kind of sense of uncertainty is always going to you know, hang over the club, isn't it? And, and that's in so many ways, that's the price of success. You know, the, the where you live in the food chain and, and we see this with, with kind of clubs all the way up and down the pyramids. But where you live in the food chain means that if you succeed as a smaller club doing well, you're, you know, you get picked off. It's just what's just happened to Brighton for for Graham Potter, been picked off by by one of the big guns. You know, not just for Graham Potter, but also equally for for Mark Kugurea. And you know, that is the price of of doing well and and, and kicking onwards. And so it's a difficult kind of tightrope to walk in many ways. Just just um, just just, just quickly, because you're saying that. That's the thing with with Brentford. It's all well and good that Ivan Tony's getting called up to England. David Rea is getting called up to Spain. Thomas Frank's getting praised for his tactical switches and things like that. But it also means there's probably going to be a lot more uncomfortable moments like this over the course of the season. So it'd be interesting to see like what exactly does happen with, with some of those individuals. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And um, look, next up for Arsenal is Spurs at the Emirates. First against third, North London derby, one point between them. This game's always huge, right? But it feels especially potent right now. Arsenal leading the pack. Spurs unbeaten in the league. It's lining up to be an absolute corker. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, the, the kind of strange thing with Tottenham at the moment is that, yes, they're getting wins and they're unbeaten, but I still don't think anybody could confidently say they're playing amazingly. Obviously, they're not looking particularly good in the Champions League. They've still been conceding a lot of goals and things like that. But at the end of the day, if you still compare the two team squads, you, you would still say that Tottenham's is the better team. You know, Benton Coor, Hoiberg, Kane, Son, Kulisevsky, Richarlison. I just think Tottenham have the better quality options and a better strength and depth. So this will be a real, really good challenge for Arsenal to kind of measure how far they actually have come uh, since the end of last season. Because if they put in a, a sort of performance and get a positive result, then you can say, OK, actually they're learning. Whereas if they come under that little bit of pressure and they, they crumble and all of a sudden they've lost to Man United and they've got a bad result against Tottenham, well, then you're just saying, well, you're just, you know, flat trap bullies. You're doing it against everybody else in the bottom half of the table, but you're not doing it in the games that really matter. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting and see how the two teams, well, fair post-international break as well. Uh, last bit on this game, but I just wanted to mention it because I think it's interesting. The first goal for Arsenal is another set piece. It's becoming a feature of Arsenal's game. They're not only very good offensively with them, but over the last years of Arteta's reign, they've also been able to shake that tag of being defensively weak from set pieces as well. They rank as, you know, one of the best set piece teams in Europe now in both boxes. That's a huge turnaround and also a major weapon in their, well, in their arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think corners are one of those areas of the game where they've been around for so long. There's kind of like a tendency to think that there's no kind of room for, for innovation. And I think, Certainly because I obviously watch Brentford week in, week out and they've got some really intricate corner routines. I think any club can kind of put in a little bit of effort. I'm not saying that they don't, but there's creative ways that you can create really interesting goal scoring opportunities um, from from set piece situations. And Arsenal consistently shown over the last year that they've been really good at it. I think I saw a statistic that they've now scored seven in the last 12 months or so directly from corners. Um, and I think from set piece situations in general, so that includes if we're getting really technical, second phases and things like that. Again, I think they're probably, I think it's Arsenal and Liverpool, the top two teams in the Premier League in the last 12 months or so. So that's really good. But then, as you said, defending them is 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 difficult as well. But they're clearly working on it so well, coming up with different solutions and maybe like adapting their 
their kind of defending plans to to their opponents. That just show, shows you a team that's really well structured, really well drilled, and like full credit to the backroom staff because it means they're they're really doing their research as well. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Very, very impressive from Arsenal today. Uh, but with that, we're going to go to Spain, where there was the small matter of El Derby Madrileño between Atleti and Real Madrid at the Metropolitano on ESPN Plus. It's a cracking game. Another major win for Real Madrid to continue their perfect start to the season. But before we get onto the game, we need to address the abhorrent scenes outside the stadium before the game kicked off, where a large group of Atleti fans were filmed chanting racist abuse at, about Vinicius Jr. It's just horrific, Jay. Yeah, I mean, obviously, as a, a man of, of mixed heritage myself, the only thing I can really kind of say when it comes to, to this, this kind of stuff and when these videos pop around is that it never really surprises me. And I know, obviously, the, the agent who kind of initially made the comments about Vinicius Jr. came out and said, I was trying to use like a like an idiom or a metaphor. Yeah. But I just think, <laughs> I just think, come on, like, it's a really poor excuse. Um, it's so obvious what the kind of connotations of saying that about uh, an individual from like an ethnic minority background are. And the fact that you had such a large kind of proportion of... Um, of Atleti fans kind of singing that chant after, before the game and during the game and making such a mockery of it um, kind of just highlights that it is a much bigger problem in, in Spain um, than some people are kind of willing to admit. Because um, that's really abhorrent. Um, you know, Vinicius Junior, he might be a multi-millionaire and an incredibly talented footballer, but at the end of the day, he's still only a 22-year-old human. And to kind of go into an atmosphere where thousands of people are kind of singing that to you is just... It's horrendous. Um, so Atleti de definitely need to, to come under some sort of punishment for it. Um, whether that actually happens, it's probably unlikely. But I think when, when these kind of situations happen, we've obviously seen it with, with UEFA before. I think when England played Hungary a couple of years ago that they, they get some sort of stadium ban and, and spectators can't go in. And I really don't understand why that shouldn't be the, the same in this scenario as well. Yeah, yeah. It's just until punishments start being handed out, things just seem to, you know, continue down the same path that they've always been. And it's just, you know, the stark reminders that this is just not going away. It's, it's, you know, it's not being improved. Things are, you know, as bad, you know, right now where people are willing to willing to kind of use these things as as a way to try and get a player. You know, it's 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 almost one of those things you're watching watching this and thinking. Like how how are people not stepping in? And, yeah. But that's you know there's that element of mob mentality as well. You know when when there's a thousand people you know trying to stop people in in a kind of mob, it, it is incredibly difficult. And 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 therefore unless the authorities do start to step up uh, and make punishments real for fans and for clubs, we're we're not getting anywhere. We're going around in the same circles that we've been going around in you know forever basically so it's it's just a horrible thing to witness and and really marred what should have been a spectacular occasion in so many ways um you know getting back to the football Real Madrid did their talking on the pitch right and, and Vinny was back dancing again after Rodrigo gave Los Blancos the lead and you know I thought I thought there was an element of that that was like right Kieran, come for me we're still we're still going to do this and we'll do it on the pitch and not that not that anyone should have to do that there is an element of being like you can't stop me, and I, I thought that was I, I thought that was at least some sort of comfort in in what was a really bleak situation. Um, 
it's an absolutely glorious goal for, from a Real Madrid perspective. Feli Valverde drives through the heart of the midfield. Uh, Aurelien Chiomeni plays a gorgeous scoop pass over the top that Messi would have been proud of and Rodrigo volleys <laughs> home. But the kind of, the you know, everyone surrounding them for the, for the celebration, I thought was a real show of, of, of unity from Real Madrid. And it was one of those where you, you're like everyone, I think most of the football world here. And, and actually, I would imagine most of the time, the football world would like Real Madrid to lose because you always <laughs> want to see underdogs. You always want to see underdogs winning. It felt like that was really flipped on its head today. Yeah, definitely. And then obviously, like Gabriel Jesus, when he scored, he kind of like did a little dance with Vinicius Junior as well. And I think kind of, as you, as you said, the best way to, to kind of, it's a shame that he has to kind of reply to to what the Atleti fans and what the, the kind of agent, the comments that he made. But the best way to do that is to kind of do the talking on the pitch. And so I think that that moment where it obviously just went viral on Twitter, it's just kind of like a in a way, it's almost like a form of protest. <laughs> just yeah, like, yeah. you know, we're here. Like, you're not going to stop us. We're going to be um, positively ourselves. Unashamedly ourselves, that's the word I was looking for. And like, full credit to them for doing it. And so for them to to, to score and combine in that way and to kind of have those smiles on their faces and just being enjoying in the moment was a really beautiful thing to see. But then, as you said, the actual goal itself, the technicality of it was um, was absolutely fantastic. So it was really good to see Real Madrid kind of come out on top in the end. Yeah, I think I think most people agree. I think most people agree. And I probably wouldn't have been saying that at the start of the game or the start <laughs> of the day, sorry. So we'll see. Um, but it got even better for Real Madrid just minutes later. This time, Rodrigo freed with a lovely give and go. He raced into the area, hit the post, but Valverde was there to follow up and smash the ball home. He's becoming the man for the big occasion, Fede Valverde. He's chipping in with the, you know, the big moments in Benzema's absence. We saw him score the absolute rocket the other week when they were losing against Mallorca. He scored the second one here um, and, and sort of was played a big part in creating the first. You know, while Benzema was absent and obviously from a completely different position on the pitch in a completely different role, Fede Valverde has stepped up. Like you said, he scored that sensational goal last week and then just popped up out of absolutely nowhere against Atleti to kind of to kind of score it in the back post. But I think we've already kind of mentioned it um, a couple of weeks ago about the kind of situation that Ramage would find themselves in with, with Benzema out at the moment. That's where you kind of really see the makeup of a team that's kind of challenging for for trophies because are you going to be able to kind of adapt without your key players? Who's going to kind of step up in the moment? And sometimes, funnily enough, it can be players that you you never expect it. Obviously, the the example that just sprung to my mind is Vincent Company when he scored that incredible long-range goal for Man City all those years ago. So the fact that it's Valverde doing it now, we, we know that he's a quality player. So the fact that he's kind of been a, being able to kind of step up in those key moments is is fantastic to see. Yeah, definitely, definitely. What what season he's having? I mean, obviously you've got the assist in the Champions League final. It's just this isn't completely new, um, but it's definitely <laughs> interesting to see how how they're you know playing people in in different roles with Benzema out because you know it's quite difficult to to stray away from a a situation or, or a system when you're so you know so de not dependent in, in in a negative sense, but because it's so wired around how Benzema plays. You know how how Real Madrid were going to kind of respond to that absence was was a, was a big question mark, um, and they just continue responding. It's very very impressive. Uh, look, Atleti huffed and they puffed, and they did pull one back in the second half, although in an incredibly fortuitous manner. <laughs> but I just felt they were incredibly naive, Jay. And 
Real had them almost exactly where they wanted them for pretty much the whole game. At arm's length, able to spring the counter at will without feeling like they were under significant pressure at any real point until like the last five minutes. And then Atleti lost their heads uh, and Mario Hermoso was sent off two yellow cards in quick succession. The first for like completely needlessly starting a fight with Danny Carvajal. The second one is a bit harsh because he shoves um, <laughs> he, he, he shoves Danny Ceballos from a corner. But it's like, and look, this is going to be a theme of this show because there's a couple of them. But like, it's just like properly stupid. And I think this is like, you're like, well, what are you doing? This is, this is really like, rowdy, hasn't it? it? No, but like, oh, so you wait, you wait till we get to Di Maria later. But we'll, uh, we'll come to it at the time. Look, na- naive isn't a term that I've used to apply to a Cholo Simeone Atleti side, right? But they were undone by some really quite simple give and go passing. They lost their heads. This is not the Atleti of old. Yeah, before we get on to the, the red cards and stuff like that, you're obviously talking about how they didn't really threaten Real Madrid that much. And I completely agree. I remember when Matthias Cunha kind of came on towards the end of the game and, you know, he's trying to look busy and things like that. But Real Madrid weren't really troubled at any point whatsoever. They just kind of looked completely comfortable. And like you said, when Atleti got that really lucky goal, you're thinking, oh, final 10 minutes. This could finally be about to get tasty. And... Yeah. It did, but for the wrong reasons, not in the way that, that we expected. But yeah, yeah. on the on um, Hermoso's second yellow card, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't want to be cheeky and say like, oh, Danny Sabias deserves an Oscar. But it, it, it was um, the fact he kind of went down holding his face after he clearly kind of got hit in the chest. Um, it's a bit deceptive, to say the least. But I mean, Hermoso kind of put himself in that situation because, as you said, the kind of way he flared up to, to Carvajal was was absolutely bizarre because I actually missed the original incident. So I'm thinking, what 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 on earth has Carvajal done to kind of to to justify that like kind quite, of response? Quite, and it's such a trip at the wrong end of the, the wrong end of the pitch. Like, okay, yeah, get, on thought, with, get the ball down and get on with it. Also, you're in the 91st minute. Don't start a fight. You are losing. Exactly. Just get the ball down and get on with it. And I just thought that kind of feeds into your naivety, like. Yes, sometimes in football matches, you kind of need to stand up to yourself and and kind of have like controlled aggression and show the opponents that you're not willing to back down. But in that moment, to me, he was basically saying, I've kind of completely lost my head and what I need to be doing in this moment. Um, And then the fact that he kind of then got entangled in that situation with Sabah's kind of of like, yeah, just undermined that. Um, But Atleti was just, as you kind of said, very, very strange performance and that kind of red card summed it up. Yeah, no, completely agree. Completely agree. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Um, right, let's go onwards to Italy, where, well, there was more bad news for Juventus, who lost to Mount, um, to Monza on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, and let's be honest, they were well beaten by the better side on the day. This is a newly promoted side who have only been, who, they've, they've not won in Serie A ever, because this is their first season and they haven't won yet. Well, they have now. Um, it's been a brutal September for Max Allegri. Three losses, two draws. Zero wins in all competitions, and the tide feels like it's starting to turn against the man who was so heartily welcomed back to the club, you know, less than two years ago, Jay. It's been completely uninspiring this season, and ultimately, they look lost. Yeah, and they do look lost, um, but I think it's important to caveat it with the fact that they're obviously missing several key players at the moment. So, obviously, brought Pogba back in the summer, and he's not been able to play. Chiesa is still out injured. They've obviously had to deal with the fact that Chiellini's gone in the summer, um, the Lick's gone in the summer. So there's an element of this is a team going through a complete kind of like rejuvenation, um, especially at the back. So you kind of have to give them a little bit of credit's not the word, but you have to kind of contextualise that by saying this is not the event of the world. A little room, only a little. Um, and yeah, so you have to give them a little bit of credit. Again, not credit. What, what word am I trying to say? You have to give them, you have to understand that a little bit. You have to contextualise that. But having said that, they were really, really poor against Monza. Um, Vlahovic just, you know, you're buying someone like that for such big money. And I didn't think he had a particularly good game. And, you know, I was kind of looking through through the table earlier. And Juve have only scored nine goals in the league. And every team above them, apart from, from Roma, um, are at least in double figures. So that kind of suggests to me that something's not completely working um, going forward at the moment. And I know you kind of wanted to, to touch on Di Maria's red card, and I'm sure we will in, in more depth in a moment. But that's now, what, three red cards in the last two games? Milik, Quadrado, Di Maria, and then Allegri as well. And that, to me, suggests a team that's kind of losing structure and losing discipline. Um, if you're racking up that many red cards. And obviously what happened last week against Alan Natana was a completely and utterly bizarre situation. But I still yeah. think, you know, if you're watching your manager get sent off and then you're getting sent off, and it, it just speaks to me of a slightly unhealthy situation. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And, and look, Allegri's been in the press this week, which incidentally the club aren't very happy about. Um, but he was saying that he's had to deal with five of his preferred first 11. Like, he was like nearly half being out injured for much of this season so far. So Pogba, Locatelli, Di Maria, Chiesa and Chesney. It's a fair point to make, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm not kind of trying to excuse that. But it's also not a free, you know, a get out of jail card either. Great managers work with what they have. And the headspace around the whole club feels off because, you know, no matter how Allegri wants to spin this and he'll spin the red card and he'll spin the players injured, 
it doesn't matter. The Juventus team on the pitch, on paper, is better than Monza's side. And they have been unable to even make a mark upon this game. They were comprehensively outplayed by a newly promoted side. And, and it's just not good enough, frankly, for, from what we're looking at. And look, I, I will say this. He can't take all the blame because Di Maria is sent off. It's an elbow to the chest of Monza defender Izzo. It's maybe a tad harsh, but it's incredibly dumb. This is a man who is brought in to add experience and quality. And just during a tackle, he's just lashed out. When he's just back from injury, when Quadrado and Milik, as you said, are already serving bans for being sent off in their last game, it's pure idiocy from someone supposed to be a leader in the dressing room. It's, re it's really wound me up. I can tell. I'm just letting you, I'm letting you rant. Like, you, you do your thing. I don't have anything more to add other than you're, you're completely correct. It was a ridiculous... I get why you're calling it harsh, but it was still just an elbow to the chest that was like completely unnecessary. Do you know what I mean? You might get away this with it, it in the lower leagues of football, but you know, if you've got cameras around, you're going to get sent off for doing something like that. And a player of Di Maria's experience should never be caught doing that. It's just like, it feels like, I think, and, you know, as you said, those, the frustration at the club feels like it's boiling over onto the pitch. And, you know, you don't get four red cards in two games, you know, uh, you know across backroom staff mm. and players without it feeling like there's an eminent sense of frustration around the club. And, and this is, seems to all come back to Allegri. And, that, and that's what I think is kind of interesting here, because... If you look at it, Thomas Tuchel is currently not in a job after he's removed from his post at Chelsea. Neither is Maurizio Pochettino, nor is Zinedine Zidane, who famously only manages clubs that he played for. <laughs> um, it feels like Juventus fans, especially on social media, want a change in the dugout. Hashtag Allegri out was trending on Twitter today again, not the first time. Is it time for Juventus to move on from Allegri? Because they brought him back in, right? They, they, they said... You know, what we wanted when we moved away from Allegri was more expansive football and it didn't work massively. Obviously, they, they won the league under Sarri, but it wasn't that pretty or that comfortable. They brought in Pirlo, who it didn't work for. And then they brought Allegri back to be like, OK, we tried to do it nicely. We tried to win pretty. It didn't work for us. We're quite happy to win ugly again. So we're going to we're going to play Allegri's brand of football, but they're not winning. And therefore, if you're not winning under this brand of football, is there any point continuing if it's going to disillusion your entire fan base? Well, obviously, the club CEO, Maurizio Aravabene, actually, you say the correct, correct pronunciation because I bet you'll, you'll nail it. I, 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 thought that, I, thought that was, I thought that was good. I, I don't have his name in front of me. <laughs> he he kind of came out before this game and said that Juve would be completely crazy to, to sack Allegri and, and that Allegri was part of a a project that was being developed for the for the next four years and again managers often get the the kind of uh the backing from from the board and then within two three weeks we've seen it countless times that they're, they're out the door but i think kind of the use of the word project and the, the kind of referencing the fact that this is something they're trying to develop for the next few years they've obviously as i kind of said got rid of chiellini the licks moved on um, they've obviously brought back Pogba. It does feel like a team that's going through a little bit of a regeneration. So, although, as you did rightly say, a team of Juventus, Juventus's calibre can't really lean too much on the fact they've got injuries because there should be more than enough kind of depth to kind of cover them, especially against a team like Monza. You still have to say, okay, players are injured and stuff like that. But it does still feel a little bit too soon for Allegri to go. And fans that are asking for, for Thomas Tuchel to come in uh, makes me chuckle a little bit because it's not as if he's got the best track record across the last couple of clubs he's been at 
for for dealing with emotional situations particularly well. So sometimes you need to be to be careful of what you wish for. But I think we'll probably see Allegri hang around for a little bit longer. And if this is still kind of the situation in three or four weeks' time when a couple of players return, then that might be the point where we see him kind of leave his job potentially. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I thought it was you know kind of darkly ironic in some ways that for me the best player on the pitch was Monza's Nicola Ravella. Um who is on loan from Juventus at Monza <laughs> and and outplayed the entire Juventus midfield because they decided he wasn't quite good enough to play in their midfield. This how they could have done with Ravella today. Look, credit where it's due, though, to the hosts, because this was Monza's first ever win in Serie A. And to do it against the biggest name in Italian football is one of those fairy tale moments that no one in Brianza will ever forget. For a yep. city that's Formula One track, then it's football team. This is a historic moment. Man was talking about Ferrari in Monza today for maybe the first time ever. Yeah, as you kind of said, the the fact that kind of Monza have kind of come up into Serie A the way that they have, obviously backed by Silvio Berlusconi. Like there's so many kind of narratives to kind of jump off off the back of that anyways. And to kind of start off the beginning of the season, kind of still searching for a win, hosting Juventus, probably thinking... Today's not going to be our day. You know, Juventus are probably going to be absolutely smarting after losing to Benfica and drawing to Sal Natana. Um, this is going to be a really tricky game. And so to actually win your first ever game in Serie A, I mean, that's just going to go down in history books. Everybody who was in the stadium that day, probably everybody who lives in that area is probably out partying right now. Do you know what I mean? So fantastic occasion. Yeah, I mean, it's made even more kind of start by the fact that seven years ago, Monza went into administration and had to drop down to Serie D, uh, which is a semi-pro, the first of the semi-pro leagues in Italy. And have climbed their way back up, you know, with, with Berlusconi's help, obviously, um, and funding. But, you know, that's still a that's still a very, very short period of that's time to, to go from the bottom to the, the top flight. And uh, it, an amazing day today for, for everybody associated with Monza. And I imagine the celebrations were raucous and long into the night. Um, right, let's finish by going around the grounds, Jay. And let's start in the Bundesliga, where Bayern's rotten streak of results in domestic competitions continued uh, with a 1-0 loss at Augsburg. They made a ton of chances. Uh, they failed to put any of them away and they paid the prize. I'm still not over overly worried about them long term but they are starting to fall a little bit behind the pack yeah and again I completely agree I'm not completely worried about them long term but I remember making this point last week um, that after their draws with Stuttgart and Union Berlin looking at their possession statistics saying okay they're seeing plenty of the ball but they're not putting it in the back of the net and the exact same thing happened against Augsburg 77% possession 19 shots 6 on target Augsburg um, what would that be? 23% of possession, if I've done my yeah. mass correctly? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was panicking for it. <laughs> <laughs> Having a moment. Ten, uh, 10 shots and four on target. So even though they saw like substantially less amount of the ball, they were still probably arguably as threatening, if not more threatening than, than Bayern going forward. And there were definitely a couple of chances where, where Bayern nearly scored. You know, Sane had a good shot saved and Goretzka had a, had a pretty good shot saved as well. So it's not like they were completely you know, on Juventus's level in terms of how poorly they played, there were definitely opportunities for them to get something out of the game, but definitely to suggest that maybe they're struggling to cope without Lewandowski, maybe a little bit more than they would have predicted, just how ruthless he is in front of goal. Maybe he would have put away some of the chances that the, the two names that I mentioned missed. 
Yeah, no, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, obviously we've seen Nagelsmann try to kind of diversify this attack, uh, and which is which is kind of one of his trademarks, right? He mm. doesn't like traditional number nines. He likes to kind of spread it out. There's there's a lot less patience uh, for this. And I was talking to my friend Sam Ty about this. He was saying there's a lot less patience for teams who play without a nine. And we saw it with City last year as well. People go, as soon as it goes, you know, even slightly wrong, yeah. everyone gets in a panic to kind of be like, this can't work. Yeah. But, you know, we saw how brilliant, you know, Bayern were at times in that game against Barcelona midweek in the Champions League. And when it is when it is working, it looks absolutely wonderful. And we've seen Nagelsmann have success with it before. So I think just some time and patience there because, yeah, you like you said, it's not like Juventus. Bayern still played well. They just didn't score. And, you know, ultimately that, that's caused them to lose this game. But... I, again, don't think there's huge amounts to worry about kind of long-term for Bayern. I think they will be fine. Uh, Borussia Dortmund, though, won the Revia derby. We haven't had a Revia derby for a little while because Schalke have been in this Vita Bundesliga. Um, but they're back up in the top flight and uh, they lost their first Revia derby back in the pack uh, thanks to a goal from 17-year-old Borussia Dortmund sensation Yusufa Makoku. Some way to be a hero, that as a 17-year-old, score the only goal in the derby. Um, that That's a lively one. Yeah, I actually saw something about um, Makoko as well, saying that he was um, racially abused in a youth team game against Schalke a couple of years ago. Did you hear about this? I didn't, but um, I, I, again, I, my, the lack of surprise, I think, speaks volumes about all of uh, all of this, right? Um, I'm pretty certain I saw that on, on, on Twitter. Um, and just saying, again, about how beautiful a narrative it was that that kind of happened to him in, in an academy game. And then two years later, at the age of 17, he kind of does it in the in the actual derby itself. Like, what an incredible moment for him. Um, I don't think there's kind of much more you can you can kind of say on that than otherwise. For Dortmund, obviously, off the back of their, their like just dreadful performance against Leipzig last week, it was fantastic. But for Makoku to kind of come back at 17 years old and do that is a, is a fantastic achievement. Yeah, absolutely. Calmer, calmer in many ways, right? Um, well, we talked about Marco Rosa in the Leipzig game. He you know, That went well, facing his old club Dortmund last week. He, his return to Gladbach this week was a disaster. Uh, Leipzig absolutely hammered 3-0, comprehensively outgunned. He's got work to do. Uh, obviously, they lost to Real Madrid in the week. You can forgive that. Um, but this was dreadful from Leipzig. They were just very, very poor. And... Um, yeah, elements of, of why Tedesco was sacked creeping into this one. Uh, Marco Rosa does not like going back to Gladbach. He didn't enjoy it last time. He didn't do any of the pit side interviews uh, when he was the Dortmund manager. He did even less of them this time because, uh, well, let's just say that the Gladbach fans weren't particularly pleased to have him back in their stadium. There were some <laughs> interesting banners going around at Gladbach this weekend. Um, and Union Berlin continued their stunning start. Two points clear at the top of the Bundesliga. Jordan Peffer didn't get the USMNT call up this week, despite our please on last week's show um, but he responded on the pitch with another goal he just keeps cooking well obviously it's important to point out that it feels like Jordan Peffick's been left out because the USMNT want to try out Ricardo Pepe and so that's that's a good thing um, for Jordan Peffick obviously but the fact that he did reply to that kind of situation because it still seems a little bit still seems a little bit bizarre regardless of kind of the the kind of like political decisions going on behind it. It still seems slightly strange. 
to kind of respond with a goal and to kind of keep your side at the top of the Bundesliga is kind of like the perfect response. And it was a really good, really good header as well. Um, I think some people would kind of look at that and think that's quite a simple goal to score, but it's, it's not at all. The kind of like the run he makes and kind of the way he kind of put it into the corner is really good. Um, so fair credit to him. Um, and that's all he needs to do. If he keeps doing that, he will, he will be in the USA squad regardless. I saw um, Bjarni Goldbeck, former footballer, talking to Derek Ray. Uh, Derek tweeted about this. He said, um, I don't know why everyone's talking about uh, Jordan Peffick and the USMNT. He was like, I think Bayern should have bought him. Maybe that would have oh, eased wow. their goal-scoring <laughs> worries. So that's high praise. That's go. high praise. Um, look, over in France, PSG beat Lyon in the late game. Thanks to a beautifully worked goal that Leo Messi scored with a Neymar assist. They've set each other up five times already this season. It's just so beautiful to watch them in full flight. But that understanding between all of that front three is just joyful. Although, you know what, Leon gave PSG a really good game here and, and Ray and Cherky in the second half, I thought in particular, was was really, really lively for Leon. So lots to enjoy from that side who, who seem to be getting better and better. But PSG are the behemoth and they continue to work along. Um, Marseille and Ren played out a really entertaining one-all draw, game of two halves. Marseille started really poorly but got better as Ren faded. Two teams that are going to be in the mix uh, for those Champions League spots. Uh, and another contender, the dumbest moment of the week, Jay, you'll like this. Uh, nice lost 1-0 to Angers as former Barcelona man Jean-Claire Tadiba was sent off nine seconds into this game for a last man challenge. You know, was, nine seconds. I was just about to ask you, what's going on in the world of Nice? Because obviously Schmeichel's there, Ross Barkley's there, Mads Beck from Brentford's there, Joe Bryant from Fulham's there, Nicolo Pepe from Arsenal's there. I was about to say, what's going on in the, in the crazy world of Nice? And that's what's going even on. crazier things are going on in the news. <laughs> It is a madhouse on the French <laughs> Riviera. It's enjoyable, um, but it is an absolute madhouse. So if you get a chance to watch Nice this season, do it's not only does it feel like a Turkish Super League team in many ways because you're like, ah, oh, all of these players used to play in the Premier League, um, but also it, like some games are excellent, some games are terrible. It's just their start of the season has been pure chaos. And and to be fair, I'm all for we'd it. Probably, I imagine I wouldn't be if I was a Nice fan. We'd probably make a funny all or nothing documentary. Like, let's just follow these guys who've just left their Premier League clubs for a year to just chill in France. And they're just one minute, they're great. And the next minute, they're getting sent off nine seconds into a game. Absolute chaos. Absolute chaos, but very enjoyable. Um, right, elsewhere in Italy, Udinese stunned Inter and briefly sent themselves top of the league with a 3-1 win. Gerard Delefeo, there we are. We're just keeping rolling off these names today <laughs> with two glorious assists in this one. Uh, Udinese's exceptional start continues to roll along. Sotil doing an absolutely sensational job at Udinese. Uh, then Atalanta took top spot for themselves with a 1-0 win over Roma, where I physically can't explain to you how Roma didn't score. I, I have no idea. Mourinho got himself off. Atalanta scored a really nice goal by Scavini uh, and Roma missed sitter after sitter after sitter. Brilliant start though for Gasparini's men. But then Napoli went and beat Milan 2-1, meaning that the top spot changed hands for the third time in a single day in Serie A today. Uh, this was very impressive. No Aussie men, no problem when Gio Simeone is playing like this off the bench. Uh, not great moment for Serginio Dest, though. He came on at half-time uh, and almost immediately gave a penalty away by fouling Valatskelia. Uh, a tricky man to mark, as, we, as we've noted on the pod, but still not a great look for the American. Yeah, and I was just quickly going to say on, on Inter, because... Um, since we started doing this show, I've said a few times, ah, don't worry about Inter, Lukaku's missing. They're, they're, you know, they're still a couple of points away from the top of the table. And that's obviously, I think that's three defeats now. And um, 
It, they don't draw games, so it's always exciting. It could have been more than 3-1 against Udinese because um, Udinese just completely, completely battered them. And so I was kind of looking at that game thinking, yeah, some of the comments I've made in the last couple of weeks have looked outdated very quickly. Um, but going, going to Dest, it's obviously just kind of like the worst kind of situation for him to kind of end, end up in, you know, two teams who are kind of battling it out for the title and you kind of give away a penalty that quickly after coming on. Um, obviously, that makes the manager kind of lose faith in you a little bit. It makes the team that's kind of question you. It's a silly decision. Um, but I'm sure he's, you know, I'm sure he'll bounce back from it anyways. Yeah, he's a little bit unlucky. It's it's not a, like a, a silly foul. They just get their legs kind of tangled, but it, it probably is a penalty from from where I'm standing. But he did all right, to be honest, aside from that. And he was marking Gralaskelia, who is probably the best player in, in, in Italy at the moment, mm. um, on form at the very least. And he is incredibly difficult to mark, as pretty much everyone has found over the last month and a half. But yeah, still still not a great look for him. Uh, but you're right on Inter. Um, and I think Inzaghi's in a bit of trouble himself. We've talked about we talked about Allegri, but I think I think uh, the Inter fans are getting a little bit fed up of Inzaghi. They, you know, they gave him a new contract after he came second last year after they failed to win the title. There were some question marks around that at the time. I think those question marks are getting louder and larger uh, every game that goes along at the moment because it just doesn't feel like there's a major plan going on at Inter and things look a little bit ugly. So one to keep an eye on there as well. I do. Um, sorry, I do think with the international break, we'll, we'll come back and several managers would have changed in multiple leagues. Yeah. I so agree. it's hard to predict who exactly. And we can certainly see the seeds being sown of potentially a couple people <laughs> But, you know, it would be interesting to kind of see what happens. It's, it's, the international breaks are always the time, right? We're probably going to come off in a minute and there's just going to be loads of club statements, club statements, club statements on Twitter. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Comunicado oficial. <laughs> everywhere. Everywhere. Over in Spain, Real Betis beat Girona 2-1 to go third with Borja Iglesias getting himself another two goals. The Panda is scoring at a goal a game and he's earned himself a spot in the Spain squad for the upcoming fixtures. And rightly so. He is absolutely sensational at the moment. Unplayable. Um, I really enjoy that he's nicknamed the Panda. Um, why why and, is he nicknamed I, the Panda? I don't know. He's it's just your, he's just called Panda. He's always been called Panda. I'm Betis. literally wearing a Betis shirt. Ah, that's not yeah, good yeah. enough. That's <laughs> but he, he's just no. When he signed, he was the Panda, and that's that's what they just always called him. So, and every time he scores, they post loads of Panda emojis. We've, we've got it's to great. Look, we've got to look this up. It does allow me though to uh, continually tweet things like. Uh, the panda is eating this Girona defense oh, like bamboo. My Lord. So, um, <laughs> so, you know, everyone's everyone's a winner, really. We'll come back to you on that one. You can you can look that up while I finish around the grounds. Uh, Barcelona won three 0 against ten man Elche, but that result sounds more convincing than the actual performance was. It was fine, job done. They remain second and two points behind Real Madrid, but it wasn't the best performance I've seen from Barcelona in recent times. Uh, but Athletic Club's good start continued with a three. Thrilling 3-2 win over Raya Vallecano with the Williams brothers, Nico and Iñaki, both on the score sheet. It's just like things you love to That's see cool. every single week. Really cool. The Williams brothers doing bits for Athletic Club. Uh, but finally, Jay, in a reduced Premier League weekend, Heung-Min Son came off the bench to score a hat-trick and quieten the doubters as Spurs battered Leicester 6-2 to compound the Foxes' woes at the bottom of the table. It was nice to see Sonny scoring and just kind of, kind of perspective of he's a really nice bloke. I have no particular, you know... I love or hate for Tottenham. I just particularly like watching Sun play football. And I thought a lot of the criticism he was getting recently was 
probably a bit harsh, you know, considering how good he is. And he scored two absolutely phenomenal goals there. And, th- and then the third was fine. Yeah, like you said, what, what a kind of way for him to bounce back against, you know, some suggestions that he should have been dropped from the team and stuff like that. And, he, you know, he was struggling to kind of live up to, to what he did last season. And Son's always been one of those players who comfortably outperforms his, his XG. Um, and with those two goals, you see why. You're thinking, how do you score those two goals in the same game? Um, it's absolutely ridiculous. But I think what's more interesting, and we kind of touched on it when I spoke about Thomas Frank and Brentford earlier, is just how much of a hole Leicester seemed to be in. Um, the fact that they kind of just unravelled in the final 15 minutes of the game. You know, first seven games of the season, they've only got one point on the board. I think their goal difference is is minus, I think it's 17. Um, look like they're in a really, really, really bad situation. And it does just feel like it's a matter of time until uh, until Brendan, Brendan Rodgers leaves, which I think will be a little bit of a shame because especially after Leicester won the FA Cup a couple of years ago, everybody was kind of praising them and it felt like the kind of the beginning of a potential changing of the vanguard. You know, Leicester are actually going to fully crack the top six. They're going to fully crack the top four. It's going to become a top seven. And the way it's kind of fallen apart over the last, you know, 15 months or so kind of just makes you really realise how hard it is to compete with those top six clubs in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. Leicester look dreadful. They look genuinely dreadful at the moment. And I don't know how they fix things. Uh, And I don't know if even a new manager is going to fix things. I imagine they'll get a little bounce, but just feels like this squad is really, really struggling to, to actually just you know, find any cohesion or, or or be able to defend, basically, to be perfectly honest with you. They, they seem to still be able to go forward. Um, but just defensively, they are an absolute mess. So that's going to be interesting to see how that one develops, as you say. Uh, West Ham's struggles continued as well. They lost 1-0 to Everton. Uh, and it was a similar story for Nottingham Forest as they threw away a lead against Fulham to lose 3-2 at the City ground on Friday night. And in news that will shock absolutely nobody, Erling Haaland scored again <laughs> as Manchester City beat Wolves 3-0. And Brighton have appointed a new manager, Jane. Roberto De Zerbi confirmed as the new Brighton manager following Graham Potter's departure for Chelsea. Um, had a really good spell at Sassuolo. Moved over to Shakhtar Donetsk, which turned out to be incredibly unfortunate timing given that the war broke out halfway through his maiden season. But a really interesting appointment from Brighton, this, and one that fits their philosophy. Uh, and I think I, I quite like this. Uh, now, obviously, there are plenty of caveats in terms of you know how things work and settling down periods and being able to get your message across. But on paper... This feels like a really nice fit and, and someone who will be able to continue improving the technical players at the club. I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah, I mean, like, if I'm perfectly honest, I'm not too familiar uh, with De Zerbi, um, but he's certainly got, you know, a pretty solid track record. And I think what probably helps him, because he obviously just referenced a, a settling in period, is that Brighton do have 13 points after six games. So he's going into a situation where he is going to have time to kind of become accustomed to the players. He's obviously now got two weeks of an international break to, to become familiar with them all. He's obviously going to kind of have like a very different style to um, to Graham Potter. But I think what we've seen Tony Bloom, um, Brighton's owner, do over the last kind of decade or so 
it's just make really, really good decisions across the board. So even though some people might not know Deserby particularly well, I'm sure without a shadow of a doubt, it will still be a really good appointment. So it'd be interesting to see how he does kind of differentiate things from um, from Potter. Be interesting to see if what, what happens to Billy Gilmore. Um, but I'm sure it'll be exciting to watch. Yeah, absolutely. There is a, a really good explainer video from the Athletics' very own Tifo Football on Roberto De Zerbi's tactics uh, at Sassuolo and what kind of manager he is is on YouTube. So go and check that out as well while, while, while you're at it. And with that, it's time for us to call it a day here on the Athletics Soccer Show. We hope you've enjoyed our roundup of the big stories across Europe for this weekend. Uh, and all that's left for me to do is say thank you all for listening and thank you so much to Jay Harris. Before I go, I found out why Borja Iglesias is nicknamed Panda. Um, and I won't lie, I was kind of hoping for a better reason. Um, is it because he looks a bit like a panda? No, I would have I would have preferred that. Um, it's just because he likes the song Panda by Designer. And, and apparently <laughs> apparently he used to play it a lot. This, this is on the La Liga's official website, by the way. So it's, it's not like I've gone on some random website and got this information. And it says he was part of Celta's reserve side that became known as Panda Team in 2016. Some of the players loved the song so much, they even went as far as getting pandas tattooed on them. So with that, I bid everyone <laughs> a good day. <laughs> well, you learn something new every day. Imagine that that's a great, great reason for a nickname, right? We'll, uh, we'll all be calling each other by our favourite song names next week on the Athletic Soccer Show. I've been Jack Collins. This has been your weekend review. We'll see you next week. Take it easy.